Hello and welcome to Flowing Backwards, a podcast by me, Phil Peake, and the man in Mosley, Ian Four Candles Moss. This is episode 10, part 2, Confusion. Now, there's a song somewhere along the lines in this by The Miseries. Uh, the song is I Can Only Give You Everything. Now, unfortunately, we can't find it anywhere. So we've got another Miseries song in. So when it comes to it, you'll know. Okay. Um, so, as usual, sit back, relax and enjoy. Hello, everybody. I'm glad to be back. Pleased uh, if you are still all with us um, and these um, tales to uh, lighten these dark days that we're in. Um, I'm going to get right on with it. Here's the poem. Um, I've just picked this completely at random because I've just told Phil before we aired that I was going to do something um, different. Um, I was going to do something called I've Got a Fall OP, but now I've decided I'm doing something called Different Drugs. I've no idea uh, what it's about, where it's from, but it's here. I've written it down at some point, so away we go. With our green paper allocation, we could feed our minds. It was a cause for celebration. In different ways, we would find our road to Damascus. We could locate the Holy Grail. I use the groove. You find a dealer and see what is for sale. You put it up your nose. I stick it in my ear. I suppose you're crushing bugs. You put it up your nose. I stick it in my ear. We chose different drugs. We chose different avenues. You sucked up to the thugs. I learned a different language. We chose different drugs. Periods of separation occasionally collide, traveling together for a while on a bumpy ride. I would wear my nudie suit. You were cut from a different cloth. The sounds I used as signals, you wanted to switch off. We chose different drugs. We chose different drugs. You go crushing bugs that become butterflies. We went off on our journeys. Separate were our ways. We cooked in different kitchens, used different fields to graze. But there remained a connection we could neither one deny. But the trouble with reflections is in subtle ways they lie. We chose different drugs. We chose different drugs. We danced to different tunes and we have to pay to the piper. You put it up your nose, I stick it in my ear. You put it up your nose, I stick it in my ear. You put it up your nose, I stick it in my ear. You put it up your nose. Okay, that was um, different drugs, as I've said. So, we're kind of um, in the latter uh, 80s, and um, I'm not in a band anymore. For the first time in a, a decade, I'm I'm not in in a band, and it's um and it's left me bereft. It's left me impatient. It's left me not feeling quite whole. Um, it's it's left a huge um itch that needs scratching. It's got me into trouble as I've become an arsehole shouting pe- at people and telling them rubbish, um, uh, because they are in bands and I'm not. Anyway. I kind of calmed down and um, 
I reconnect very much with Bobby and we decide to um, write and perform a comedy review. Why this comes about is there is, a, in the town that we're both from, there is a people centre which fills a uh, great hole and is very well-meaning and run by good people. And um, in the 80s, uh, these people are at a premium. You want people who are um, not um, falling for the greedy's good culture and who are more into akin, you know, they're into sharing and and real values. So anyway, they're, they're on the People Centre, Denton People Centre, and it is in need of funding that it is going to close down. So Bobby and I decide to spring to the rescue and write and perform this comedy review using some of the people who uh, who frequent the place. Um, and uh, so we, <laughs> we, we set about this. We go to our old uh, school drama teacher who's well thought of in the uh, dramatic community in, in East Manchester, Constance Smith, she was called Constance. She was, um, I don't know, she was like a great, dame not a great dane well she was she was a big woman built built a little like a great dame but she was also a great dame and um constant um advised us um that we were cho choosing uh, the most difficult form that we should not go near writing a comedy review we should take something that is already written and um and do that so um, we ignored her and set about writing a uh, comedy all-action review. And, and how we did it was, was quite simple. We just um, wrote around jokes that we knew and, and, and made them 3D, made them a living thing rather than something you would tell. And then I borrowed um, some things from Ivor Cutler that we could perform and 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 just a few odds and sods that I'll talk about in a minute. So so we um, we put together a cast of of, uh, of a varied cast and and set about this thing. Um, <laughs> and it and it took perhaps two months. Uh, Robert was briefly and. Uh, engaged in 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 this um enterprise uh, my old um, flatmate friend bandmate nemesis robert um and he came but he completely missed the point he wrote this piece um the the seven ages of women and it was horrible it was this vile misogynistic um bile it was garbage you know and he insisted that we do it and we had to tell him no so once again um it there was the ultimatum either we do this or i'm leaving so uh, we waved him goodbye anyway we came to um to the night of the performance and we'd sold out uh the place perhaps 200 seated uh, audience members for the first time ever my mother and father and had fetched me aunts and uncles, and, and it was quite a family thing. They'd come to see me. Uh, I wouldn't have wanted them watching um, 
the bands, to be perfectly honest. Um, but um, we set off, and it was the first time that we'd used the stage. The stage had been built, and, of course, it had been sort of pushed on, and, uh, and like most stages, was hollow. So the opening sequence, we were uh, clad in green tights and red shoes, and we had got a dance routine to um, the William Tell Overture, Puccini's William Tell Overture, um, that we'd practised on the floor, and it was okay with us. It was quite funny. Transferring this onto the stage, the hollow stage, it sounded like uh, a troop of marauding elephants. Um, you could hardly hear the Puccini. All you heard was us crashing around, and because we were aware of this, we fell into hysterics. Uh, laughter, as you know, is a great contagion, and so people laughed along, and we were off. Um, we went through our routine. I remember um, performing uh, either Cutler's Grass, and I performed, you know, these are all being enacted rather than just sung Ivor Cutler's um, Little Black Buzzer. Is that what it's called? I'm sitting on top of the world with my little black buzzer beside me. This is my message to you, that one anyway. And uh, lots of jokes, quite often with um, a sort of strong homoerotic element to them, which was in the 80s, was against the uh, the norm, not what would be expected. And I'm, I'm quite proud of that fact. And we ended up with this skit where a doctor, simply a load of doctor, doctor sketches. We had a doctor at one end and we queued and went round and round, asked doctor, doctor, and he, he picked a card up to give us the smart answer. Unfortunately, all the cards were mixed up, and so all the answers were wrong and bore no relevance to the uh, to the doctor-doctor part, which made, again, it was an accident, but it made it much, much funnier. It just made it hilarious because it was so absurdist, and uh, it was a great success. It was wonderful and really wonderful to do, um, but of course, those sort of things are just a one-off. Uh, but it was it was nice to do something with Bobby because the next thing that happened um, excluded Bobby, and it really shouldn't have done, but it wasn't my fault. Uh, as I have uh, mentioned previously, we briefly had a band called the Uchi Comis, which I didn't like, and one of the few good things about it was the uh, song The Horse's Tale written by... Uh, our friends Karen, Sue and Rhonda. Simon, who had been in the Uchikomis also, and had disliked uh, that song because it wasn't very serious, um, now had approached the girls and um, wanted to record it. He smelt uh, a way into the big time, a small time, big time kind of thing. And um, they agreed to to go along with this as long as I was involved. Um, and so we went into uh, a recording studio in Denton and recorded uh, a demo of uh, The Horse's Tale. Uh, we called ourselves Whip Crack Away. 
um, and we recorded this demo and then it was what to do with it. Bobby was not impressed at being excluded and I do understand why. He was the one who had championed this song and brought it into the group in the first place. Um, anyway, I suggested that we might go and play it to my friend Mark Riley, who was now running a record label in Tape Records. Um, and so um, Simon drove me to Mark's. We played it to Mark, and amazingly, he loved it and said, let's do a record. Um, so we were packed up and sent to a place called Heckmondwijk in Yorkshire to record with the real country music aficionado. That was, it was a wrong, it was a silly choice really, you know, because he's a purist and this was not pure um, country. And it all sounded, it sounded too clean. We'd uh, got Nicky Cockatello, who I've mentioned before, the uh, judo champion drummer, and my brother came along and uh, we recorded that song and we recorded uh, the B-sides, which were, one was a sort of um, hip-hoppy uh, country uh, poem. Shall I read, shall I sing it? Do it, do it. I can't, I can't read it because I've not got it in front of me, but it went, uh, this was called uh, Hank Williams. It went, it was, wasn't called Hank Williams, it was called Gingham Dress. And it went, um, it was a gingham dress that she was wearing. Mama told her it was dare and pink and white with a bow at the back. It's amazing what you do with a tater sack. Frills at the bottom, frills at the top. She knew she'd make the world stop and stare at her gingham dress. Her golden locks in ringlets tight and matching bows of button bright. And button up boots upon her feet. All because she's gonna meet Hank Williams, Hank Williams, Hank Williams. Yeehaw! So that was that in real time with the sort of hip hop flavour to it, uh, which wasn't long enough. So, um, I wrote an, another song called Betrayed that, that we did. I'm not going to sing you that. Um, and and then we'd got the package. We took it back to Intake, who hated it and decided to use the demo recording anyway. And uh, the record was uh, was released. <laughs> and um, and then um, it, it started getting airplay on Capital Radio in London. And um, little did we know the nature of the airplane. Uh, they were, in short, taking the pests. <laughs> um, they thought it was an absolutely terrible record. The enemy reviewed it as well and gave it a terrible review. So we ended up, Simon and I, doing an interview with Capital Radio. And uh, fortunately, my tongue was firmly in my cheek, and which shows Simon was much more earnest and proud of his masterwork and ended up sounding a bit of a twonk, if I'm being honest, um, as um, as they ran this feature, basically um, ridiculing us. Um, so any, anyway, it, it was funny and it, and it sort of uh, crept around. I remember getting a sense of newspaper from Australia, the record review section, and there were only three records reviewed. There was Elton John, 
Diana Ross and whip crack away. <laughs> um, and odd, odd things happen. Anyway, uh, that was that, and um, uh, it was it was inglorious. But it was it's there, isn't it? It's there. It's for posterity. Um, so that was that. Anyway, um, started playing um, occasional gigs. When I say occasional, I played two. Um, so so played a gig um, as the Brick Bats. And the brickbats consisted of myself of Simon Taylor, who was proving to be quite quite the ally, and um, a couple of members of Mark Riley's uh, Creepers, including uh, Eddie Fenn, who was the drummer in the Creepers. And uh, it was odd because Eddie had drummed for me before in in the days um, when I was doing the Bears from Bellevue Zoo. Eddie was in a band called Tools You Can Trust who were probably the best band in Manchester, I thought, at the time. Really, really meant it. They were really dour and brutal, and I loved them. Um, and Eddie had uh, sat in with us one one time uh, because we played quite a few gigs with them. We got on, you know, we were of a, a similar mindset. Uh, I liked them very much. They used to uh, rehearse behind the Odeon off Oxford Road, and I'd go down and see them and, and talk um, at the time. Anyway, I do digress. Uh, yes, I was rude to Eddie that night. I didn't thank him or anything, just because we, we didn't play particularly well. But I think he kind of liked that, that I wasn't just some sort of um, frivolous, you know, oh, I want to be a pop star. Just being on the stage is good enough sort of thing. Um, so anyway, uh, we played this gig as the Brick Bats uh, with Eddie and, uh, and with... Pete uh, and Fletch from the Creepers and uh, played, you know, predominantly a couple of Hamsters things. We played the Whitcrack Away thing and we played some covers. I remember we played uh, the Standells, sometimes the good guys don't wear white, which I rather liked. And and that was great. Everybody who was, was there was amazed and I loved being back on the stage doing that. So the next thing um, was to do some more recording. I don't, I don't know why this happened, just because I was on a roll. I was working. I'd got money in my pocket. Simon um, was um, fueling my ego, telling me I was great. Um, and he, he could knock a tune out. Um, and so... Um, I wrote this song um, called Digging in the Dirt, um, which was uh, inspired by um, the find of, um, of thousands of human remains uh, in a forest in Poland, in, in Ketchin, uh, where the Soviets had, um, had massacred the Polish army, basically, and then blamed the Nazis for it. Um, so I wrote this song called Digging in the Dirt that was based around that. And uh, we decided we'd record that and we would record um, Baby Strange by T-Rex as well. I was on a big T-Rex jag at the time. And so we put a studio band together um, 
and uh, there was quite a coup because probably the biggest group in the country um, at the time was the Smiths. And I bumped into uh, Smith's drummer, Mike Joyce, in uh, the Hacienda one night and we got to talking. And um, I remember him, descri in, in describing the situation. He said everything was fine except for that, uh, in, in his words, that Stretford knobhead who um, he was referring to the singer in his band. So clearly not everything in the garden was rosy. Um, but anyway, I asked Mike if he was interested in playing this session and he said he was very interested. And uh, he went to Mr. Morrissey and Mr. Marr and asked permission because he was only a junior member of the band. And uh, they said, who are you playing with? And he said, my hamsters. And they said, okay, which was very nice of them. And then I assembled uh, the rest of the band, which was Simon Taylor again, Mark Riley, um, my brother, um, Mike out of the Creepers, who was a sax player, uh, my old friend Jed Berry on bongos, and uh, this young girl who'd got involved in the uh, in the comedy spectacular called Dawn, who had this wonderful soulful voice, and we um, went in the studio. Uh, to record these songs. Unfortunately, as I've said, my drinking at this stage was um, beyond the pale. Um, I would regularly drink eight to ten pints of beer in a night and also a bottle of spirits, and that was the case for this recording. And uh, I sounded like a wounded bison. In so so bad did it get that even I realised. And uh, we got Dawn to sing Digging in the Dirt after I bellowed all the way through um, Baby Strange. Anyway, so it goes. Um, I, I did. Um, I took the opportunity to play Mike uh, a song he'd never heard before. Um, oh, and you know how bad my memory is. Um, the Flaming Groovies. Um, slow death i played in slow death by the flaming groovies and said look mike this session is merely a prelude do you think johnny marr would come and play this he said i think he would love to play that so it's great and, and so i looked forward to that unfortunately um the smith split up the week after so that never happened anyway um We'd got that recording and it was a bit unsatisfactory. You know, it got famous people on it, but it was a bit unsatisfactory. And uh, so, while, as I say, I was on a bit of a roll. I then, at a Nico concert at um, the Library Theatre, bumped into my old friend Hooky Peter up. And so I said, Peter, I'm doing some recording. Would you play bass on it? And so he says, of course I would. I'd love to. He said, I own a studio. Um, Sweet 16 in Rochdale used to be cargo. Uh, we can do it there. And so um, we reassembled. I was keen for uh, Mike Joyce to play with Hookie. But unfortunately, he would, he'd been plunged. Because the Smiths had just split, he was plunged into this financial hole. And he, um, he wanted a small session fee he wanted 40 quid which i could have afforded to give him but it it was against the ethos of it and, and i did try and encourage him and say look 
just come and play with hooky. Who knows what will come of that? You know, it'd have been 18 months, two years before Johnny Marr and Bernard did electronic, you know, it would have um, captured the imagination. Uh, anyway, he declined. So Paul Hanley from the fall, uh, sat in on the drums and we had Mark Riley, um, hooky on the bass and Simon and myself. And we cut five songs four covers and another um, self-written one called Dead Men's Shoes, which was about um, living out of charity shops and uh, walking around in uh, dead men's clothes and shoes and wondering about their lives as I inhabited their clothes. Anyway, um, we will play something from... Uh, that session. So here, for the first time ever in public, is uh, the super group that we called The Miseries. Um, the first band, by the way, with Mike Joyce was not called The Miseries. We called that one The Thin Men. The one with Peter Oak is called uh, The Miseries. And uh, here we cover that old chestnut, which I loved in, I loved by them, I loved it by the MC5, and I particularly loved it by the Trogs, and this is, I can only give you everything. Wouldn't you believe if I told you, I want to hold you.
I was much happier with these recordings. Um, I spoke to Mark about them going out on in tape, and he was keen, but he did point out to me that he was he could feel that he was at the start of a split with his partner Jim Combata, and um, and Jim was gonna Jim would veto it. Jim would say no. So, and that was the case, which was a shame, really. I'd have liked it out. I remember Mark had, had, had a Creepers album out at, at the time and he was doing some press. And the first question that the press were asking, news had somehow seeped to London and they were asking about this super group that he was involved in. And he kept trying to explain that it was just um, it was just for an old friend. It was just people helping, help, helping Moe from the hamsters. Uh, and they just chuckled and said, oh, I uh, pull the other one. Uh, anyway, so we'd got the recordings and uh, nothing came of them. We just sat on them, basically. Um, but I was, I was, you know, Simon had, had become my, uh, my sort of confidant and I was writing songs with him and, and go out. He would uh, chase around. I remember one night we went, uh, it was a Sunday night, and we'd sort of aimlessly gone to Manchester and went down to the boardwalk to see what was happening. And it was a private event. It was um, Factory Records had commandeered the place and were having a quiz. Um, but because, um, you know, because I'm a friendly soul and the new I was, they invited us in any anyway. And, and so those teams made up of various factory acts, you know, there's a certain ratio team and a new order team and all that. And uh, I'm not sure if Tony Wilson was quiz master or perhaps Alan Wise was the quiz master. Uh, but I, I, do, I do remember which um, at, at one point, and, and I shouldn't really mock, but I can't help it because it's funny. It's funny. Uh, they asked the question that the, the quiz master said, who were Kim Philby, Guy Burgess, and Anthony McLean? And there was much huddling together and people scribbling. And uh, Simon ushered me towards him. And with his hand over his face, so as not to be seen, he said to me, the Pink Floyd. I nearly wet myself laughing. Uh, anyway, uh, it wasn't the Pink Floyd, of course. It was a, a bunch of spies. Uh, the gay traitor was named after. Uh, anyway, I'd been writing all these songs with Simon, and then um, another opportunity to perform arose. The Mekons were playing in Manchester at the International Club, and um, so I um, got in touch with John Langford and said, can we play with you? And he said, yes, of course you can. Yes, he said, what's your band called? And I said, the meek ones. Uh, so he said, you are a cheeky chappy, aren't you? And, uh, and so um, turned up, well, we didn't turn up. It was, a, it was a, there was a football match that day and I went to that and I was gloriously drunk. I was uh, more than three sheets to the wind. I was absolutely paralytic. And um, we turned up and we played this gig supporting uh, the meek ones. Again, I had Mark Riley playing guitar and organ, 
and uh, Simon and, and various creepers uh, with with me uh, way, way over the top, uh, screaming and hollering and shouting our way through things. We did a few creepers uh, songs, we did some covers, did some hamsters songs, did some songs that Simon and I had written. And it was great, you know, and, and I remember the guys from the Mekongs were uh, were re really knocked out with it. Uh, but I was um, I was in a real mess. And the night concluded with me uh, collapsed outside the international, well, in the doorway of the international, with my head over the uh, the lip of the step being sick in, onto the pavement and uh, and people leaving the venue having to step over me. I do recall some some girl saying to her boyfriend, "Oh, Luke, that's the singer out of the first band, dignified, never, never ever." Anyway, um, let's play something by the Mekongs um, to to immortalise that. So this is Fear and Whiskey by the Mekongs, who I really, really think were probably um, the best group in the world at this point in time.
to say I wasn't in a band, musical things kept happening. And then um, at a gig at the International 2, um, I bumped into Mark Smith, um, the leader of the fall, the fall to all intents and purposes. And, uh, and, and Mark and I got to chatting and uh, the Flaming Groovies pop up again. I remember us arguing about the Flaming Groovies. Uh, Mark Mark's opinion was that the Groovies were only ever any good up to the point um, that um, uh, they had long hair and they were scruffy. And as soon as the uh, the suits arrived, they were there were a load of rubbish. Um, I just couldn't agree with that. You know, we sort of uh, we. We eventually agreed to disagree. It never got sort of nasty, but, you know, um, we did have differing opinions. Anyway, um, Mark proposed two things to me. The first thing he proposed was that um, he, he said to me, you know, I've always loved your voice. And what I'd, I'd like to do, if you're into it, is write a piece that you can perform with us live um, as the opening number um, for for a, for a fall set. Um, you know, would you do that? I said, yeah, of course I would. Mark. Yeah, I'd, I'd be absolutely delighted. It was it was probably probably um, I don't know. He's probably trying to provoke his own audience, you know, by sending out another singer rather than him for the for the opening numbers and I, I might have got lynched i suppose by the fall fanatics but but i, I readily agreed anyway nothing came of that but his, his next proposal was that um he was he was now on a major label and he'd got met some major label money and they'd given him uh the uh, they'd given him a kind of vanity label cog sinister uh, that he could issue things on and he wanted to uh, put out a hamsters EP. Uh, so again, I agreed to that. Uh, the tracks were selected, and Grant Showbiz um, sent sent the tracks our way, and they were uh, mixed and ready for the EP. Uh, and then Mark got in touch and said, "Oh, there isn't the money, but they're letting me do a compilation LP. I can use two of the tracks. Is that okay?" And so. Um, and so that came to pass. So uh, there were two. Mark put out this LP, uh, the Disparate Consciency, and um, they were containing two Hamsters tracks. So nearly a decade after the Hamsters had, uh, had bit the dust, we were finally uh, in wax. We were out there for people to uh, hear. Uh, and, um, and we got some money in the post. I remember uh, meeting John, who I'd not seen for several years, and uh, we went to the recently opened dry bar and bought these ridiculous Japanese beers that that, that cost a fortune, and, and we went through our money that way. Um, anyway, the hamsters were out, and, uh, and everything seemed fine, you know, and I was going around, going to lots of gigs, mostly the international and the boardwalk and stuff. Um, I remember uh, DJing one night at the boardwalk for Mark Riley's 
um, um, label. I was in a rather unique position in, in that I was very friendly with Mark Smith and Mark Riley um, at the same same time. There can't have been many people uh, like that. But anyway, Mark uh, Mark's label in tape were having a night at the International. I remember uh, at, at the boardwalk, I, I must correct myself, and I DJed that and uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. And so um, I can't swear that I played this, but I'll bet I did, because this was probably one of my favourite records at the time. So at this point, we'll play a bit of music, and this is Ultra Vivid Scene, Mercy Seat. There's nowhere else to 
As I've said, I'm working at this point. I've got a steady income and it's a decent wage and, and I've been traveling quite a lot. Um, but they the for the first time, it seemed it seemed like another planet. Um, it's something I've never considered, but Simon Taylor suggested that we go to New York. Um, and and I said that's not practical, surely. Uh, but he pointed it out it, that it was, um, you know, it, it was affordable and et cetera, et cetera. And so we, we booked tickets to go to New York and I was really, really looking forward to it. Um, we were going stopping with a, a couple in uh, Brooklyn called uh, Dennis and Lois, who have become famous in their own right. I had a film made about them initially they'd come to the uk uh doing merchandise for the ramones on the ramones first tour and they'd uh, made friends of lots of english musicians and they were welcoming us into their home and and so off we went towards new york now this is where things started to go wrong between simon and i because simon was well paid um, he had lots of money, uh, but he had a mean streak, it has to be said. That can only be the case. We were um, we were travelling towards Manchester, heading towards the airport, and uh, and I was giddy, you know, I'm going to New York. And and Simon said, said to me, how much money have you got? I think we were going for 10 days. And I said something like £450. Um, and he looked at me and, and I said, what have you got? And he said, 50 pounds. <laughs> and uh, I said, do you think that will be enough? And then, and then this is the thing that I really liked because he didn't, he, you know, he wouldn't know Quince and Crisp if he fell over him. So uh, it was a second-hand quote, but he, he borrowed this quote from Sting. Uh, he said... Uh, I'm an Englishman in New York. Somebody will take care of me. Um, obviously, that somebody uh, turned out to be this sucker. Um, we were stopping with Dennis and Lois, which saved us all the uh, high cost of hotels, and they would drive us around, saved us taxis, etc., etc. But every time we went out, the sort of deal was that we would pay for them. Now. We have, um, there are four of us, and Simon has no money. Um, so every time we go out, every drink, every time we eat, I am paying for four people. My £450 uh, goes downhill dramatically and quickly. Fortunately, 
the Mekons were in New York at the time playing gigs, which was fantastic. It was great seeing them in a country where they were truly appreciated. And um, and I'm, I borrowed 300 quid off John Langford, which I said that to him when we arrived. But it, it left a nasty taste. I mean, there was lots of good things. I remember um, the, the Mekons included in uh, us in... Um, they were doing radio uh, interviews and uh, and and such like, you know. And and Sonic Youth would turn up to court them, and you know it was it was all really nice. And they were very sharing, good people. And we played uh, a football match against the writers um, from the Village Voice magazine on um, in Central Park, and um, on the competitive edge came out and I was crunching through these um, very athletic but not very well balanced in terms of footballing uh, technique Americans sending them flying like skittles anyway so so that happened and and then as I say I've been writing songs with Simon and we came back to the UK and at some point he said to me um about my writing he said i don't want you writing about politics i thought fuck off you cheeky bastard don't tell me what i can fucking write about um and so um that um that's kind of not completely ended uh any any friendship um but it it certainly put a big freeze and I wasn't, I never ever worked musically with Simon again after that. Um, there had been a razoring across our relationship, which leads us nicely into the next track that I'm going to play you because it was a big, big favourite for me in the 80s. And we need a bit of diversification in this show. So this is a sort of... Um, jazz with a bit heavy funk tinge and this is defunct razor's edge
time to kill, the kicks to kill time. Getting wasted, wasting all my time. With an upright to wake up and a dollar to sleep. Trying not to think, not feeling nothing, not feeling nothing.
time to kill and kick it to kill time. Get away from wasting all my time. Unfortunate um, whip crack away omission of his um, guitaring. Um, we're, we're, we're still firm friends, and um, we got the opportunity to take on a regular DJing gig at um, the big local pub in Denton, uh, in the centre of town, uh, the Kings, um, on a Thursday night unbelievably busy you know i don't know what pubs held but it was a big pub perhaps 150 people and it would be ram packed and we got offered the djing gig um being well paid i think i think we got 100 quid uh for this thursday night for for djing um and we thought it was great fun bobby at the time with his girlfriend was living on a barge and he would uh, arrive at, at, at my 
house and we would DJ and they would stop over. It was a sort of big treat for them that they could sleep in, in a bed and have a bath. Um, and it was good fun. And we made jingles. We dubbed ourselves the Suicide Sisters and, um, and, and, uh, and set about DJing. Unfortunately, it was the type of establishment and the type of era when what people wanted really was chart fodder. They wanted soppy, you know, they wanted Rick Astley and the Bee Gees and, uh, you know, Kylie Minogue. That's, that's what they wanted. And uh, obviously that's not what uh, they were going to get. We, we, we were playing them um, a good mixture of sort of, 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 of electronica, uh, of of the dance persuasion, sort of early 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 house records, and um, and then sort of wilder stuff from uh, from the seventies and early eighties. We were playing um, the um, earliest singles by the Stone Roses and by the Happy Mondays. And we're, you know, we're, we're playing things like uh, from the 4AD label, like Colorbox and stuff. And it was an eclectic mix. It was, and um, I, re I remember us one night playing a, a scratched, a 20 minute, we did, did this scratch version of Johnny Cash's A Boy Named Sue. And we dragged it out for 20 minutes, you know. My name is Sue. My name is Sue. My name is Sue. 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 Etc. Um, we were having a having a ball, but people uh, people didn't like it. We were sort of eighteen months, two years too too early, you know. In in once acid house dropped like a bomb, people would have uh, lapped it up. But none of them knew who the Stone Roses were, for instance. None of them knew who the Happy Mondays were. And, and it just made us um, more and more um, obscure to uh, to make our points. It was it, it it became fun to to bombard them with Captain Beefheart and things like that. And uh, numbers dwindled. We we and by the sixth week, this residency that we'd got that with 150 people, we were down to two people. And at some point, I was playing uh, sui Suicide's Frankie Teardrop, you know, Frankie, Frankie, ah! etc. This horror scape, you know, of electronic pulses and, uh, and death. And uh, the two people walked out of the pub. And the landlord, bless him, I, f I forget his name, but he came and gave us the most beautiful uh sensitive and polite sacking of all time he said lads i love what you do but i think it's probably time for a change uh couldn't help but agree with him uh we'd we'd uh, upset people and finally they'd all walked away at one point as i say bobby and his girlfriend would come and stop at my house we'd, we'd go back after we dj'd and um, have a drink. And at one night, we, we were sat there having a drink, and we, there was a car screeched to a halt outside my house, and then there was this huge crashing noise, and then the car screeched off. 
and, and they'd stopped and attempted to put a huge slab of concrete through the front window and somehow failed. They took a huge chunk of the window frame, but such was, uh, such was the effect that we were having on people. We were agitating people rather a lot. Um, it wasn't good. Um, shall I end there or shall I tell you one more story? I'm going to tell you one more story. So... Um, I go back to New York. This time I go with my friend Wayne, who had been in the Hamsters for an hour with, with me. Uh, he'd been in the Hamsters after John had been sacked. So, he'd, so he'd, he'd been in the Hamsters for one rehearsal with me. Um, but we, we were very, very good friends, Wayne and I. And we went to New York and again stayed with Dennis and Lois. And again, the Mekons were in town. Um, so I, I remember straight from the airport, we went um, to see the Mekons at Tramps in downtown Manhattan, and they were on the A&M Records at the time, you know, big label and everything. And, and we were there, and we'd left England in um, the middle of winter. We were wearing crombies and probably hats, sensible English clothes. We arrived in New York. Uh, to find they were in the midst of a heat wave. And we were in this sweaty club in these crombies. And uh, from the stage, John Langford beckoned me to come down into the dressing room after he caught an eye. So we went into the dressing room and, and it was hugs from John and passed the beer, stood there in our crombies while the, while the Mekons are sweating in T-shirts and vests and things. And uh, th then the record company Bigwigs entered the dressing room. And uh, one came running over to me and gave me a huge bear hug and said, great gig, man. <laughs> and uh, for the first time, my, my similarity in appearance to uh, John Langford had manifested itself. Uh, so... Anyway, later on that trip, perhaps a week later, the Mekons were playing in, um, in, in Jersey, in Hoboken, in Jersey, at Maxwell's, so-called because it is um, next to the Maxwell House factory, or it was, it's not there anymore, Maxwell's. So the whole area smells of ground coffee. Sally, um, who, who sings with the Mekons, was ill. She hadn't made it. And so, uh, remarkably, Gibby Haynes of the Butthole Surfers um, was singing Sally's songs that night uh, for the for the Mekons. So it was it was it was great. Uh, it's, Maxwell's was a great club. Anyway, at, at some point, it, it was hard not to notice there was a there was an attractive girl and a boyfriend had a very public and loud falling out, and he stormed off. And the Mekons played, and then this girl came over and started um, talking to me, but very closely. In fact, she was mauling me, and, um, and, and she continued. I said, you know, don't do that. But she continued, and uh, after, after a minute or two of this, I said, if you carry on doing that, I'm going to take you out of here and fuck you. And so she did it again, so... so I led her by the hand and out into uh, Maxwell Park and we um, made the beast with two backs. Um, 
But during this, uh, she started calling me John. <laughs> and uh, she, like the record company executive, had mistaken me for Mr. Langford. Um, it was very embarrassing. Uh, during this, I had now missed my lift back to Brooklyn with Dennis and Lois and Wayne. They had gone. Uh, fortunately, I could get a lift into Manhattan with the Mekons. Unfortunately, the girl who I'd been with, who, who by this time I was totally embarrassed about, uh, also got into the vehicle. Uh, so what was great was I tried to talk to John, but he was far too drunk to make any sense of it. So I did try and tell him what had happened. Um, I ended up sat next to Gibby Haynes, and for the 40 minutes or so of, of the journey from New Jersey into Manhattan, I was treated to this wonderful stream of consciousness, this sheer insanity, uh, so very, very funny, incredible. But then we arrived in Manhattan and, and was offered, uh, you know, somebody's sofa or something. But I'd, with with uh, with this girl, Susan, uh, stopping there as well, I didn't feel it was wise. So it's now about 3 a.m. and I've got $1 and a subway token. Um, and I'm, and I'm not familiar with New York. Um, so I, I headed off onto the subway, which was an, a strange experience. Um, I got on the wrong train. Um, I got on the F train and went to um, Coney Island rather than into Brooklyn. Um, it was full of psychos smashing themselves against windows and things. I think I put my coat over my head and just tried to hide away and pretend that I wasn't there. Um, meanwhile, back in the apartment in, uh, in Manhattan, Susan had written a note to uh, JL in, on an envelope and um, saying the sex had been fantastic and she wanted to get married and come and live in England and make him cups of tea every morning. This gets even more confusing because the drummer at the time in the Mekons was a guy called John Langley, who'd been in the blue airplanes. So initially, John Langley is in receipt of this letter. He can make no sense of it at all. Eventually, it ends up in John Langford's court, and John sort of figures it out. <laughs> and he's not too pleased. But I, don't, I tried to tell him. Anyway, bye. <laughs> So, so it goes. I was aware that John John knew, and then perhaps three months in England later in England, um, I went to a gig in Hebden Bridge at the Trades Club, Hebden Bridge, and uh, and I had a feeling that John would be there. And as I walked through one set of doors, John was walking through the other, <laughs> and he looked at me with with a big smile on his face and said. I want a fucking word with you. <laughs> anyway, it was all sorted out, and we both found it very funny. Um, so anyway, um, being, being as somewhere amidst all that, um, Gibby Haynes plays a part. Let's play the Bustle Surfers, Sweat Loaf, uh, and let's call it a draw, shall we? Hey, that's enough, isn't it, for this episode? You lovely people. Thank you for listening to me babbling. Um, 
So, again, share it. You know, if you've enjoyed this, you might not have enjoyed it. If, you, if you've not enjoyed it, still share it because I'm quite shameless. Um, thank you for, for listening. Thank you for indulging us. Thank you for all your feedback. Thank you, Phil. Thank you, Helen. Stay safe because, as ever, we love you. Okay, bye-bye. thing about regret is that it's better to regret something you have done than to regret something you haven't done. And by the way, if you see your mom this weekend, would you be sure and tell her, Satan! Satan! Satan!
Well, that's the end of another episode. And wasn't it a good one? Did you enjoy it? If you did, www.flowingbackwards.co.uk and on Facebook, you can get us on Flow Backwards. And do that. Send us a message. Leave us a post, whatever you want. A comment and share, share, share. As we say every single time, click it on a friend. Let them have a... hmm, Let them feel the benefit of... uh, such a good podcast. Anyway, I'm going and stay safe.